Well, this one is, and you know, well, I did my master's degree in this area, and when I when I um, did my thesis, my dissertation, what I did is I I set the the, the bar high in terms of who I was going to interview, and so I had to have won um, at Olympic medal level or um, national championships or international world championships, those sorts of things. That was the level I, I interviewed people at. Those interviews and all the research I did as part of that dissertation, great I am, or growing yourself. And that's essentially raising consciousness. Hello and welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to my YouTube channel to receive a notification and never miss a live interview. I hope you enjoyed this interview and please share with a friend or a teammate that you think will value this episode. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. My name is Jack McLean. I'm your host and today my guest is Greg Muller. He's currently the Managing Director of Lead the Pack and our key topic for today's chat will be the hidden determinants behind human performance. So whether you're a strength conditioning coach or you're uh, perhaps a manager of your own business and, and leaders, of course, of athletes, which can apply to anyone listening in, uh, parents included, make sure to get out your notepad as there'll be some gems drip through or the whole way through and if you've got any questions for us live Greg's happy to answer those uh, at appropriate times so thank you for jumping on Greg really looking forward to our chat mate yeah good to catch up Jack well, thanks for the advice and for those that aren't aware of your background do you mind uh, providing us sort of how you got into the industry uh, where you sort of found your passion for it all and what experiences you've had yeah sure um, well I suppose the first thing is is like you know I'm like every other person on the, on this, this earth we're just uh all fellow travelers doing our our bit and um i don't have any uh different skills than any other person in the sense that um you know i, I my passion has always been sport um but um yeah I'm, i mean like i'm just curious i've always been curious um and i suppose one of the things you know i was born with in terms of i'd always ask questions and um my background started in the New Zealand military and you know I came from a school I went to a school which is a modern modern thinking modern day school uh, at high school and um, you know we didn't have uniforms we we didn't really have too much discipline at the school which in, back in those days was quite unique and so when I got into the military I started asking a lot of questions and military just like you're asking too many questions you know it's um it's press up time if you start asking too many questions but I was always curious and that that continued on and um i went on to do my um selection course become a physical train instructor in the military um and that that led to me becoming the senior instructor of our the new zealand defense force um training school for physical training instructors we treat we we trained army air force navy and to a lesser degree police um transited from the military into professional sport um i was offered an opportunity to work with the Auckland rugby team and the blues um, and then I travelled to Japan, worked in Japan for a couple of years, back to New Zealand, then finally into Ireland and um, professional sport. And then I branched out on my own. So um, that's a really quick summary of my background. And um, yeah, so now I just work, I work as a consultant, work in various, very diverse um, areas in the space of high, high performance and leadership. Fantastic. And they are like, I guess, mentors, if you like, who have been some strong influences along that journey. Yeah, it's a good question, and I think it's so important for us all, you know. Um, I was actually just speaking to a friend of mine, very senior in the New Zealand Army now, and um, she, I asked her that question, who's mentoring you, you know, because we always, we all need mentors. One of my very early mentors, actually, um, I met 
when I first joined the army, um, and we've been friends ever since. Now, at, the, at that time, we weren't friends because he was a physical training instructor himself, and um, we still keep in contact. We contact pretty much daily. Um, uh, he's now in his mid sixties, but um, his nickname is Doctor Death. You know, um, and you can imagine, like, you know, he he um, was a product of the time, but at the same time, he was also very visionary, and he was. Uh, Someone that um, was not the way they liked it, but um, and and he's also, like I said, very visionary and um, uh, had 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 methods and ways of, I guess, inspiring people to or motivating people. To, you know, a lot of leadership's about um, a lot of other um, military leaders that um, I worked with throughout my time in the military. You know, they're phenomenal leaders, both men and women. Quite a number of female leaders are very strong and competent leaders. Um, and I always encouraged that in terms of once once I got more senior myself, I, I tried to bring females through as much as I could um, because the the um, the feminine energy is is important in terms of the, the you know in terms of balancing out the masculine energy as well. Um, other mentors, uh, big one was Paul Check. That was that was um, made a big shift in my life, and especially at the time when I was really growing in the space of um, strength and conditioning because I was looking for answers as well, like we all are. You know, um, and I actually got a phone call when I was at the phys ed school in New Zealand Defence Force. We were based in the Air Force base, and uh, I got a phone call from one of the guys I worked with and said, "You've got to go see this guy." And you know, you hear that a lot. You hear that, um, oh, you got to see this person. And you know, I was travelling a lot, trying to learn and stuff like that. And um, I so this guy said, "Go and see, go and see him." I went down there, and there was staff from the Canberra Crusaders there. There was you know people from all around to South Island, because we were based in the South Island at the time, um, and straight away, in a couple of hours, I realised this guy's on a completely different level to what until we're used to. But growth in this space, there's massive growth. I'm going back 20 years ago then, when when that was, uh, when I went to see Paul first, 20 plus years actually, and, but I knew then, you know, I was conscious enough that, man, this guy was on a completely different level in terms of, you know, everything, and that anybody that's studying any of his work, as they say, oh, this guy's a Swiss school guy, he's this guy. He's, he's more of all that, you know. So he was a big mentor for me. I went through all his training, um, completed it all right through level four and all streams that he teaches as well. Um, quite in depth getting up to that level. Like I did his holistic coaching yeah. course, level one, but to get to level four, that's, yeah, takes this time and work. Yeah. yeah. And I repeated, I repeated like level one twice, level two, three times, level three twice, you know, because it's, it's so much information to um, get and, and, you know, to really understand it so you can apply it mm-hmm. um i also want to mention just you know like sir graham henry was another mentor of mine to come into my life and when i joined the professional rugby um you know very open-minded very visionary also um and you know i worked at that time with graham lowe who's uh went on to be who's i keep in contact with not not as regular as you know like we've got busy lives and stuff like that but um I always catch up with him he's up in europe with the team and stuff like that another guy is uh glenn kearney um, who worked with New Zealand? Um, great guy in terms of um, you know he's always he's branched himself out too and really um, I suppose tested himself in that space you know uh, just to to look for, for for more answers to understand this whole equation. Yeah, those are some of the people. Yeah, there's some great people involved there, um, and and I guess looking back over your career, what have been some sort of significant highlights that sort of spring in front of mind? I suppose um, 
life and work are, are a compliment. You know, I suppose the biggest thing I'm proud of are my three children. You know, um, that's something that uh, I'll, I'll always, you know, I'm very proud of them and what they're doing. And two of them are still teenagers, and one's just got past that level. But they're the biggest source of my pride in my life. But in terms of my own work, passing the physical training instructor course. Um, or the selection call, the question, a lot of unknowns. We always want to test ourselves. That's a human uh, a human need or it's a human uh, question that we have for ourselves. You know, how good am I? How, can I Can I, Can I? I go, keep going if, if things get really tough? You know, so passing the physical training instructor course was, um, or the selection course was something I'm obviously very proud of. Um, and then going on to be the senior instructor of our, the New Zealand Defence Force Physique School. Also working with our special forces, in my early days, um, New Zealand SAS, you know, that was a brilliant time and um, taught me a lot. And then transiting into pro rugby, and you know, we were we were very successful with the Blues and Auckland rugby. We won everything, you know, the Super Rugby National Provincial Title and uh, Ranfurly Shield were the first team to do that. So you know, it's it's great to have those things as as a, as achievements. Same time, you know, I, I've worked in other organisations where we didn't get the outcomes in terms of winning national titles or things like that but we were working just as hard or learning just as much and sometimes we miss those we, we miss that we, we put too much emphasis on oh, just what are the people at the top doing what are the people that are striving you know that there's a lot of learning in there and on that space yeah well said and on the flip side like significant challenges that you face to come in elite sport and comes a lot of pressure um, well, the biggest challenge i i noticed is when i i i suppose because i've been in the military so long and I, although I'd worked, I was working with provincial rugby teams while I was doing that. The biggest challenge I felt was um, I didn't acknowledge or realise how much high performance we, we'd done, we, we were doing, or um, the value of the stuff we were doing in the military. So what I, when I walked into the professional uh, sports space, what I found is they were a long way behind what we were doing in the military. Yeah, I guess it makes sense that the stakes are a bit higher in the military. Yeah, well, you just can't really, you know, like we had really good um, systems and, 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 and procedures in place, you know, and the sport was was kind of grappling for that. They were they were constantly trying to look for things, but they didn't have the systems in place and um, the structures in place, the foundations for those things. Now, in the last 20 years, there's been a lot more of that come in, and you can walk into, you know, they, if, you, if you look at a, a elite military unit or a, or a sexual tune or something like that, and you look at a sports organisation, now they're starting to replicate themselves in, in similar in similar ways because they're looking for the same outcomes. You want people to perform at high levels. Yeah, do the well, you know. The challenge was um, influencing people to um, to see the things that I could see. And I didn't, um, I, I, was, I, wasn't, I was a bit naive to that initially. Um, I left a reasonably senior role in the in the military into an S&C role because, you know, I, at that time, the, my career, I wasn't, I didn't want to just go into sitting on a desk and I didn't want to, um, and dealing with, you know, leading people, leading, you know, a fairly big staff, which I did have, um, it has complications. You know? You're dealing, you're constantly dealing with people problems. And as much as I, I don't mind doing that, I really want to get back just to, to doing what I like doing, which is S and C work. The point I'm making is the question you had was about challenges. Well, when you're lower down the hierarchy, you're perceived often not always, but often you're perceived as um, not understanding some of the bigger principles at play and the, co- and the interconnectional interplay of those things. And so I was seeing things because I'd had experience and exposure to more senior leadership. 
um, that others weren't seeing in the organization. So that was challenging. That was really challenging. Yeah. yeah and, no. and your and your ability to implement change is is um, like when you're the leader and you got you're the boss, you've got the ability to do that. But when you're lower down the organization's hierarchy, yeah, no doubt we'll, we'll go into a little bit more detail. I'm pretty yeah. soon in the topic, but I guess from uh, to kick off the. Uh, topic in your experience, what are sort of some of the hidden determinants when it comes to contribute to uh, athletic excellence? Well, the the the, the biggest one is, and you know, I did my master's degree in this area, and when I when I um, did my thesis and my dissertation, what I did is I I set the the, the bar high in terms of who I was going to interview, and so I had to have won um, at Olympic medal level. That was a level I interviewed people at those interviews, and all the research I did as part of that dissertation, great I am, or growing yourself. And that's essentially raising consciousness. Not so familiar with that term, but raising consciousness is becoming, you know, or having a greater understanding or awareness of what's going on. As I said, when I left the army, I had experience, which I hadn't acknowledged myself. Um, and then I walked into professional sport and I was like, oh, wow, these guys, these guys aren't doing a uh, hundred things that we would just take for granted and do as part of our high performance um, procedures. So, Awareness is big, and as you gain more awareness, right, through growing your, yourself, you mature in the way you think and the way you look at things. Um, that's the biggest, most significant thing that um, will make the the biggest changes or uh, impact on your environment or the work you're doing. Because it's constant. You know? I guess you can ma- you can maximize every every hour. It's constant. Yeah. It's constant. But like I said earlier on, you know, I was always curious. I asked the questions why, but sometimes you're going to you're gonna when you ask the questions why you're gonna come up with some difficult answers in terms of um, it'll the finger gets pointed back at you and saying well you know what what's your why why are you um, not acknowledging these things and the example I can give you is um, if you think of a spectrum you know on one side of the spectrum we've got allopathic medicine and on the other side we've got naturopathic or natural um, procedures you know and the more more you sit to one end of those spectrums you, the more dogmatic dogmatically become about that's the way things work but either end of the spectrum are getting significant results so why would we why would we ignore those things you know the still point or the center point the great i am sits in the center you know and you're able to uh, step either side dependent on on the environment or dependent on the um, challenge you've got at that time that's not easy to do because yeah. you know if you've been to university and got all these degrees on your on your wall saying oh you know, accomplish these things, you get inculcated to a certain way of thinking, you know, and the established norms that go with that, the parameters that you're supposed to operate in, um, all create a paradigm which um, almost ostracize you to a point from going outside that. It's extremely challenging, and but that's the only way you're going to grow, truly grow. And you're not serving athletes or the, the organization you work for very well. If you don't call or watch this video, you could probably attest to that, you know. So, um, like, Einstein said, "Reality is is merely an illusion, albeit a very persistent one." And and that that's that's that's, that's the the question. You know, like the the um, history or the the origin of the word experience means a journey into danger. To us initially, it's like, are you prepared to take that step? Because if you you know have a PhD in something and you step into say the naturopathic realms and start studying that, you just don't see people turning up to those sorts of things. And I did. I started turning up to all these events, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm the only SNC coach here, or I'm the only person here that studied more of the science. Um, but that's a journey into danger because then you're going back into your environment, saying, hey, have you looked at these things? And you know, if you if you're really 
chasing like a woman. You can't limit yourself. Yeah, you got to look at all the options. And Ben Darwin's written in from uh, LinkedIn. Uh, when it didn't work, what are the things you identified as the reasons? When when it didn't work, what do you know what he's talking about there? What's he- I feel like this was reference we were talking about, and when you're in that role as the S and C, but you were seeing things that weren't working as seamlessly as they were in the military in elite sport, and right. trying to work with your superior to make those changes. Perhaps. Well, I think, I think I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I totally understand the question. He can he can elaborate on if he wants, but um, I suppose you know one of the things I've, I had to learn, and that's that's one of the one of the challenges. You know, like. Um, we go through an evolution, or well, hopefully we are as as an SLC coach or in, any type of coach. You know, it doesn't matter if you're sport, either skills coach, sports coach, or whatever. We go through oh, evolution. It's just uh, elaborated clubs that didn't win. So where did didn't, didn't, yeah? Oh, well, we've got to remember that um, there's only one team that's going to win every year. Be careful how we measure, and I think that's something that you know, um, in terms of alignment and um, understanding of what what is performance or good results for a particular organization or a team you know some of the like to answer that question some of the teams that i worked with we performed really really well we just weren't going to win the championship because there was restrictions you know we may not have the budget to and and that doesn't fix all the problems but um being able to get the right sort of players and um you know uh, resources you might not be resources well but you become more innovative and more creative when you don't have the resources um so some of the reasons didn't work. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest block, to be honest, the biggest block why things don't work is people. That goes back to the great iron. E- even though they're not, might not be conscious of it. And, you know, I've sat around many, many tables, which many people listening to this probably have. Um, we walk into rooms and say, we'll do anything. We want to be the best in the world at what we do, right? But as soon as someone brings out something like I talked about the spectrum, you know, and they go to one end of the spectrum and say, hey, have we looked at this? Can we attempt this? People shut down pretty quick. I'll give, I'll give you another example on that. There's a great um, story I read. I must have seen it 20 years ago, but I related to it very strongly. When I say this, you know, I'll, I might speak about a lot of um, military examples, but I found a lot of the research is done there because the re- the military have the, have the resources, the time, um, and the ability to to do these things, so they're they're on the cutting edge. Plus, they're put in harm's way a lot, so they've got to make good decisions. So, a lot of the the leadership side of things and performance side of things, you know, a lot of it done there, right? It's been done in sport, of course, it's been done in sport, but the military have a, have the opportunity to to do it. But anyway, the point I was going to say, well, the the question, the question, the um, story I was going to quickly tell was there was this retired colonel who got asked to be the enemy party for. Um, to, to lead the enemy party for what they call a toot. So tactical exercise without troops. So it's like computer gaming, uh, war gaming, you know? And they had all the senior generals of the US military um, attending this thing. They're all sitting in this room, you know, big room, computers, big boards up, how they're going to run this war and things like that. It's just it's just practice, you know, to practice your, without actually putting people on the ground. It's very a uh, very common thing. Anyway, he came, he came in as, as, as the... Um, is the enemy party. So he was there to try and disturb, just disrupt the US military. He walked in with a suitcase, you know, and everyone looked at him and he'd been a bit of a renegade, a bit of a maverick in his time in the military. Exercise was supposed to go for two weeks. In two days, he'd completely annihilated the US military. And the reason the reason he did it, he said, because I know they think, I know the way that they operate. And I've always thought like that. You know, I've looked at sports teams and go, well, you keep doing the same thing, but 
you're often spending time and putting a lot of energy into things that's going to give you very low return on your... They're so ingrained in one way of thinking, unconsciously, often it's unconsciously. They're just ingrained in a way of doing things. Well, this is the way things are done around here. Well, this is the way things are done in the sport. I get that back to me a lot of times. Oh, you know, for example, if you look at the um, the the, um, the drills that are done, uh, the neurological type training they do in football, soccer, and people go, oh, we can't do them. The, the, the boys, the players, or the the players don't don't know how to do this stuff. That's exactly where you want them. Yeah, right? Around encouraging them, no. But the, the, because they're failing, I'd get phone calls from coaches and managers. Oh, they don't want to do this anymore. You know, that's the best place to be. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> but we try to we try to bring ourselves back into our area of comfort. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that I spoke about there. But no, that yeah, is. It'd be good to dive a bit more into the mindset uh, and how to develop that consciousness. And I guess have you seen people shift? And 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 if so, what are some effective ways to sort of open? Open leaders up that you're working with, or open open the mind open the mind of conversation up with the athlete that you're working with. Perhaps is a bit bit closed and just do anything they've always done. How do you? What are some effective ways to? Well, you know, across I guess as simple as it sounds, um, the most effective way is to keep learning, to keep studying, and that, and have mentors. And those are those all sounds like simple things, but um, you know, an example would be, and I've said this, I'm going back. 20 years now, right? I said, put a library into your, into your sports organizations. Sit down when they're having their lunch and start to read. I, I was doing, for example, we got, we, we went on the road. We'd have a lot of time. Players would have a lot of time to themselves. You know, they sit in hotel rooms. They don't really have a lot to do. Watching movies or be on video games and stuff like that. So what I started doing is say, okay, we're going to have, we're going to have learning sessions. And the learning session didn't have to, it could be about anything, anything to do. It could be SNC related, um, <clears throat> And I, I got a bit of resistance from it initially, but um, when I started running it, when I, when I got to Ireland, I ran it. I did it in Japan as well because I knew, you know, we're dealing with young athletes, right? And they need, they need, you know, I work with a lot of young soldiers, and you've got to, you got to develop them. Young soldiers, you know, um, they go through a process, and by the time they're in about the eight year mark, they should be approximately about a full corporal. You know, I was seeing athletes, pro athletes who had not been um, subjected to or introduced any of these principles and interesting enough the Canterbury Crusaders who have just won seven titles in a row they've won more titles than that they've won seven back-to-back titles um, in the Super Rugby's um, is a former he was the former boss of our, our trade in, in the um, in the New Zealand Army he's a leadership consultant coach for that team not that long ago say so hang on a second we've got to we've got to invest in this because they're investing heavily in maybe the skill set or developing players but they weren't investing in the player themselves and this is a message i've constantly observed and i've also said to all these teams get your get get the sinning and start investing in these players to learn and grow and um ronan ogaru when it went to the canopy crusaders you know he was a lions and um transferred into being a coach and you know he said on a, in a sky interview when he was interviewed and when he first started coaching at racing he was just an assistant coach and he said oh when i first got there, I didn't realize how tough the job was. He said, I didn't even know the cones the first day I went out. You know, and he re-emphasized the point. He said, I kid you not, I didn't know where to put the cones. The player, you, have, you see a very different uh, reality of what's going on, you know? But um, anyway, obviously he was coaching there and he decided to go to, across to Canterbury Crusaders to, to learn more and expand his knowledge. And he went there and they said to him, and I think this was on a Sky interview as well, they said to him, um, you know, you understand rugby really well. But we want you to, to learn how to lead 
players and lead people. So they, they invested him and started teaching him these things. Um, so that has a big impact about the mindset and it's challenging our mind to think differently. There's always opportunities out there. Sit down, they want to win. Being open-minded, and even though people say they're open-minded, generally it's a massive challenge for us when, you know, for example, um, if I came in and said, oh, how about we, rather than um, rather than um, you use, use the standard practices of how we, we train, like we go to the gym and we do those sorts of things, how about we do it all outside, all right? And just use, we, we don't use any weights and stuff like that. Very simple example, but, you know, you can go right down to the, whole way we, we deal with injuries, how we deal with um, the pharmaceutical side of dealing with injuries versus the naturopathic side of injuries, you know, the preventative versus the treating treating symptoms versus treating causes. So it tells us, it's now telling us stuff, and this is, you know, the example I can give you is, is I think it's fascinating, is if you if you look at the, the Mark Rothko paintings, I don't know if you're familiar with those, but... No. Um, it's kind of similar to the boss behind me on the wall there, but the Mark Rothko paintings is one of, one of the most famous ones. Is just pretty much just a red or an orange square, and it sold relatively recently for eighty six point nine million. Now you can pull up on the internet uh, a red uh, a painting of red a red um, square or orange square and buy it for a couple hundred bucks. So what, what what's the difference? Understand while we make certain decisions to say, well, I'm going to pay 86 million for that painting, but it's just a red square. It's the same It's the same with what I just said. Like, I, I probably gave quite a bad example in terms of the challenge, but uh, doing strength and conditioning in the gym, all right, um, versus doing it outdoors and doing, you know, using nature and stuff like that. And I, I know people have done that. That's not a big paradigm-shifting example, but um, it's challenging ourselves to, to ask ourselves these questions. Why... Is that 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 piece of art worth more than um, some some someone who you can go down to yeah, into my city today and the people who are selling selling art on the side of the street and yet it's only, it's really really cheap. Yeah. What's the difference? The question is in high performance. Why are you, for example, recruiting uh, certain staff, certain people, and it's because your it's your perception of them. It's the perception that their CV looks good. Work on the peripheries. And I've studied the peripheries a lot and beings who can offer so much, but they can't get in opportunities that lie in terms of mindset, which is going back to what the original question you asked me. That, those are the questions, you know, money ball, the movie money ball is another example of those things. I've written down here, I think it's a really great quote. The hardest thing to explain is the glaringly evident, which everybody else has decided not to see. A few times, like uh, leadership and the qualities of leadership and leadership principles uh, that you learned in the military and, and Rob. Hope sounds like he's been consulting. Um, um, was it the Auckland rugby team? Crusaders. Crusaders. Um, what would be some of those sort of key principles do you think that athletes need to start uh, adopting to, to be an effective leader? Well, you see, I was working, um, doing some work at the at the time. We used to have a, a high performance centre in New Zealand rugby um, based, I was still in the army at the time, but they were bringing me in every now and again just to help out. And we would run the national age group teams through there. And um, it was interesting because at that time, Dan Carter was coming through the under-21 system. Dan Carter was obviously one of the most famous All Blacks we've had in recent times. And you saw the difference of the individuals coming from Canterbury versus other parts of the country. Because what they were doing is they they were developing human, human beings. And that's what we'd done in the military, right? So I was interviewed um, for the All Black role in 2004 
And one of the things I said then, or you can say another way, better people will make better coaches. They'll make better sports people. They'll make better anything. And it was just something that I picked up through the military. Now, that 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 um, particular statement then got attributed to Sir Brian Mahore, and he probably said it. A lot of people may have said it before. So I'm not saying I, I don't have right over any words, but I did say it in, in that interview. And about a year later, it was used as the catch cry and still is to a large extent. The All Blacks and many other teams. But um, the point is, is what, what, what we did in the military is we life schools that were going to contribute to their own performance like you can't turn up late in the military if you do you'll be in trouble yeah. you know I, I, I was working in professional sport and guys are screaming into the uh, screeching their car into the into the car park with their breakfast stall running down their chin progress since then because i can walk into environments now and people are doing their rolling and they're doing you know their prehab exercises and stuff like that you, when you develop an individual what you do is you um you have that individual then standing the parameters of performance for themselves you know you're not having to to, to go around with a big stick and saying, come on, I'll keep doing this, keep doing this. And I, I've always said to many coaches, if you read the, the book, it's called The White Book, um, Principles of Success by Jack Canfield. He talks, he's got, he talks in there, the principles of success for life, right? And you can attribute those to every, every, every aspect of life. And um, I said to coaches, if you get players and, and coaches to read that book themselves, all right, that will change more than having time on the field because now you're shifting people's own perception, I think. The question, and I just wanted a couple of things I want to touch on is I see it like this, I, I, you know, like to put it very simply, we've got three pillars, right? The first pillar being the physical. There are advantages in the physical, especially if you're working in high-performance sport. You're not going to get a lot, right? You can walk around, it doesn't matter what sport it is, you can walk around all the sports teams and they will be doing same things that are reasonably similar. You know, some guys might have some really great ideas and say, okay, we're going to use a, a 2x times, you know, a four RM session or we're going to weight vests and we're going to use parachutes or whatever, okay? <clears throat> you see some people doing doing stuff outside the box thinking. But the differences are minimal in terms of the outcomes you're going to get from that. Where you will get your, where I think there's still huge value and or where you're going to get some advantages and recovery, getting the recovery equation right. That's tough. And there's been a lot more research done on that. Like we were at the cutting edge of electrosonophoresis when I was at the blues, um, looking at hormonal states and things like that. And we were measuring this stuff and we were able to capture or uh, get some advantage there with recovery. And I think that's still available. If you're working at more amateur type teams, then the physical can, you can get you can get um, a jump on teams with the physical because uh, often amateur teams aren't at their peak levels of fitness. Yeah. Um, but the next pillar is the technical and tactical, and it depends where the sport is on its timeline, um, how much technical and tactical work has been done. Um, for example, you know, I did quite a bit of work with the, the Gaelic football and Gaelic uh, games over here, and the technical and tactical side of things is still probably what I'd say in, in early stages of development, because you know, I've worked with high performance or high levels with, um, I know that's huge in Australia. The game compared to and the technical and tactical side of it versus how they do it in um in the Gaelic games, the massive areas for growth there. Massive. But you've got to shift that paradigm because these coaches have grown up, they've come through a system, right, where um they've always done things a certain way in that game. So they don't know outside that. And that's what I say, you know, to expand our our knowledge, we've got to go outside our peripheries. We've got to go way outside our peripheries. But the last one is, the last boxes, and this is where you're going to get the significant gains is mindset. Asking, developing that. 
And I, I know I touched on before, I've said to, to when I go to organisations, I said this very early on when we were looking at developing a new Blues headquarters, is put a library into the building. Everybody's like, what are you on a library in there for? I said, because you've got you to grow people's minds, you know? And when you start exposing people to, to different ideas, and I've got a massive library myself, and there's so many rich lessons you can learn from these things. I, I, I would have a, like a book club, for example, with teams and say, okay, at the end of the month, tell me some lessons you learned from them. I said the secret of success is one book that Jan Campbell um, speaks about. But that last pillar of the three pillars, when you are growing in that area and your mindset, it affects the other two. So the decisions you make in the gym, okay, are aligned to higher level thinking, all right? You're not just doing just gym work because, you know, the, the, there's been massive studies on this and research on this. The crossover from gym work into on-field performance is generally fairly low, all right, in most activities, most sports, not all of them. Um, look at the combined, the combined um, testing they do in, in, the, in the NFL. I've proven that stuff doesn't actually, uh, it is not very effective, but they still do it because they haven't found anything better, all right? Or if the stuff out there is better, they still haven't shifted the paradigm enough to, to implement that. But, but the point is, is that last pillar, when you grow in the mindset and the leadership space, right, now everybody's making better decisions at the other two books. It's a journey like um, I've, I've developed a, 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 a model based on a lot of research. Like um, I've looked at tons and tons of research on this. And John Maxwell, who's a leadership coach, has five levels of leadership. Um, so I've, I've gone deeper into that research and put together the five levels of leadership for coaches, which I haven't released yet, but it's coming out shortly. But in there, um, you've got to look at neuroscience in terms of how our brains to lead and to think differently, to get into that third box. The earlier stages of our development, what we have is the reptilian and paleolimbic development of the brain. More about survival, it's more about ego, it's more Newtonian in its thinking. Newtonian meaning cause and effect. If I do this, this is going to be the outcome. If I lift heavy weights in the higher level, what you get is you get neolimbic and prefrontal cortex development. Now, this is a process because it's like the wiring of your brain's got to start to learn the synaptic um, uh, impulses or the neuro, neuro, neuro um, pathways have to be developed. And that only happens by expanding our brains, by doing this stuff. When we do that, when we start using that, we start the executive centers in our brain. So now we can deal with um, complex situations, make faster decisions, and interconnect can be a very hectic environment so we interconnect things to make better decisions and we've got to go through you've got to go through that process you can't do that by just deciding oh, i want to be a level five leader i want to be thinking from my executive center of my brain all right we all think we're doing that right now it's the highest level of thinking but it's not so um yeah you know, that's, great. that's that's good those three pillars so um the physical which which recovery is is part of the physical it's pillar one pillar two um, being the technical, tactical, and pillar three being the, the mindset. Have I got that right? Yeah, yeah. And I'll incorporate the leadership into that or last one as well, yeah. Leadership yeah. and mindset, yeah. And what about developing um, resilient athletes? Like how does that come into a crucial role for when you're the initial coach at a, at a club? How do you assist athletes in developing resilience, both physically but also you know, mental robustness as well? Yeah, there's a ton of stuff out there on that stuff, you know. And I I, I mean, the, the high-performance space has been so much research and um, – you know, advancements in these areas. But I go back to basics. I always go back to the foundations. And the first one is you've got to develop well-rounded people, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there now about mental health and things like that. When you develop 
um, strong people, well-rounded people. Learn some hard lessons. You're going to hear some hard truths. They're just not going to like, you know, and you get pushed hard up against the most elite in the world. They're going to ask serious questions of you physically on the pitch. Now, how's your mindset? How can you deal with the resistance? Mm-hmm. So I also go back to my early stages in terms of shared hardship. And what I mean by that is, is you know, having rights of passages. Today, today in today's world, we can't celebrate medi- mediocrity too much. I congratulate people on just purely turning up and doing things. Right? That's not high performance. Right? High performance demands that you, you, you work hard to be the best you can be. But the, if there's rights of passages, and the military have that, you know, like, to become a physical training instructor, I had to go through a week out. And there's no guarantees you're going to get through that. You know, people drop out. Same with special forces. It's there for a reason because they're, they're, they're asking deeper questions of people. And when you have that, that's 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 showing you've got to have resilience to get through those things. What come of that in terms of the positive things that it can have is the environment starts to protect itself, right? Because what you do is you don't accept mediocrity. You don't accept poor standards. You can't walk into high-performance true high performance organizations and just just expect to, things to happen you've got to be a, 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 a go-getter you've got to actually step up to the mark constantly and maintain the the, the standards of the, of the pack research on this in the in the, in the um, Great Barrier Reef actually in Australia the goby fish the goby fish I don't know if you're familiar with the goby fish but they they um, every day they have similar to what they do in the military they have a, a they form up ranks are you familiar with this research no, come up in a rank, right, or in a line every day, and like the the leaders of the go around and they nudge a little bit overweight, and the reason they do that is because they want to. They know there's not enough food food for them to keep eating and eating and eating, so they just give them a little nudge. And the researchers measure them with really fine instruments, and these 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 fish that go around and nudge the other ones that are overweight can tell, and there's a minute amount of extra weight they've got on, right. Or they get a nudge, and if they keep getting a nudge. Eventually, they will be ostracized out of the Great Barrier Reef, and they'll die because they can't survive out there by themselves, right? So it's a self—it's a self-regulating um, um, thing, and that's what elite teams do. But the rite of passage in terms of elite sports teams, we protect our badge, we honor our badge, we take serious pride in our badge. But I can see—I could see it from what I was seeing when I was dealing with players coming from there. People I know working in that environment. And that's what you see, like I said, in, in high performance, high performing organisations. So yeah, that 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 creates that resilience, okay? Because everyone's going to go through hard times. Everybody's, you know, life is not, and, and those lessons come at us. They sideswipe us. Ob fish, geo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. That's um, yeah. I'm sure a few people um will be checking out the goby fish on YouTube or some stories to to read about. That's great. So, that, and, and I guess the analogy with that is, yeah, good teams have strong standards. They'll give you open, honest feedback on when you're out of line. And if you don't, they're wrapped to heading in the, you know, what the squad's all about in terms of what's best for the team. Then eventually you find yourself out the door. That, what, exactly. That's what it's about. You know, it's, it's, it's not about um, processes, right? Yeah. Onboarding's an important time to, to, to develop younger people coming in, right? Um, but yeah, you self-regulate within the group. Um, but it's it's like it took me two years, just over two years, to become a, a badged member of the physical training in the army. I went through a lot of hardships to get there. You know, you get treated pretty poorly, um, but they're good lessons. So by the time I got there, I protected that badge, and the people that have earned the honour to wear that insignia, right, protect it, and that's how it should be. 
and that creates a resilience around things because um, you know you know the, the hardships you've had to go through to get there. It wasn't easy, and so you self protect it. You protect it. You know, just like the goby fish. Some of the lesser known factors that can significantly impact an athlete's sort of motivation and drive, perhaps when they're going through these moments of hardship, uh, and a leader is looking to obviously stretch them, but maybe where they're already being stretched with a few. Um, tough times in a row and they need a bit of support like what's some areas that you find can be effective for getting them back from the um, yeah I suppose <clears throat> I, I mentioned this at the earliest <clears throat> I mentioned this earlier on you know the the mentoring is buddy systems and things like that have huge value I, I know I got, I'm going back to it but the science of things whilst it's important and it's, it gives us huge value in terms of the high performance space um, when we develop people right that's that's the hidden Alexa baiting about um, where we can hide God. Where do we hide God? Talked about the style we can do the deepest ocean. No one's going to deep dive down there. And one of the sages said, "Yeah, but one one day someone's going to find that. One some some day they're going to develop technology to go down there and find God down there." So someone said, "What about the highest mountain?" Oh, same same thing. You know, we're going to one day we're going to be able to climb the highest mountain. What about in the deepest jungles? Or someday we're going to explore those places. And then finally, one sage said, "What about if we help?" We hit God within the person themselves because it's the last place we're going to look. What are the hidden things? The hidden things are develop ourselves, develop our people, um, invest in that. But as I said, go outside the traditional bounds. Looked at a lot of recruitment because the recruitment is look at CVs and say, oh, this guy's got a track record of this, this, and this. What we don't do very well is determine what good looks like. It'll tell you the fastest kid in the street is just going to have a race down your own. All right, that's easy. Forward in your team. That's a bit more challenging because you're going to get different opinions on that. We try to come up with these measurements and still there's no measurement that can tell you that's the best person. Who's the best coach? Who's the best leader that you're now going to recruit to actually have an influence on those people? Right? That's hard to do. And I, so I've spent a lot of time looking at how we determine those things. And that's what my five pillars is about. You know? And what we try to do as humans, and we've got into this, this whole mindset of trying to fast track things as we look for instant gratification or we look for the... The, the heroic leader or the heroic individual that's going to save our organization, save our team, right? Rather than actually going within and saying, hang on a second. You know, like I said, I was running um, training sessions while we are on the road with players. And you know the interesting thing was when I started doing this? Yeah. After a period of time, I knew one of the questions that was going to come up. I knew one of the questions that was going to come from the players. You know what the question was? They're overseas doing rehab. What hap- I guess what happens when they finish their rehab? No. Yeah. No, because you can because you can innovate. Like I got taught by Paul Chip many years ago. If you're stuck in a if you're stuck in an elevator, you can still train somebody. How come the leaders of the organisation aren't doing this? So you ask me a question. You ask me the question. What are the things? What are the other things that people aren't doing? I'll give you another example. We went to, um, we, we went. I took a team to a, a camp, a preseason camp. To the people who were running the camp, I wanted to step back from it because they hear my voice all the time, you know. And you want to hear people have get get other voices come in. Maybe to tell them the same thing, but it might be just the thing that makes that shift. Yeah, from a different voice. And two hours, two or three, maybe four hours into the the activity, doing all these leadership tasks and these things that I'd helped design, but I was wasn't running it. And the guy who was in charge was quite a senior leader himself. I mean, through a lot of leadership training himself, he came up to me, and goes, "I know your problem here." I said, "I know the problem too." I said, "I said, but I want you to tell me what it is." The problem is the people on the sidelines watching this, thinking it's the players that have got the problem. They're the ones that need to be doing this, the leaders themselves. The problem is the players. John Wooden said, if they're not getting it, 
You're not teaching it properly. You're not coding it properly. Within yourself and go, hang on a second. I've got a responsibility. It's a much bigger, um, it's a much bigger shift. But in those circumstances, do you think the best, most effective camps, camps are when whoever's there is attending and engaged, staff, players, executives? Well, I sometimes can't see why, you know, Staff don't want to be vulnerable in front of maybe this. The, um, sorry, the leaders don't want to be vulnerable in front of their staff or in front of their players or whatever. I, I get that, and sometimes it's important not to engage at that level with um, your players or your staff. But <coughs> staff need to go through it. Uh, leaders as well, and often my briefers are. You know, the staff aren't doing all these things here. Why are they doing those things? You know, the leader becomes the lid in an organisation. If leaders aren't growing, then their staff aren't growing, and the organisation's not growing either. So, um, you know, the, the, we, we, we constantly want fast fixes, right? No one wants the big problem saying, oh, you know, this is going to, uh, if I say to someone, oh, this is going to take a three-year project, I don't really want to hear that because we've got to win a championship game on Saturday, you know? Just give me that, give me the results of that, you know? So we love books that say, oh, here's the seven Ps, seven Ps of performance, or here's the five Cs, or here's the five Ss, or whatever, all right? As one of my professors said when I was doing a master's degree, he said, e- people that write those books, they're either lying or they're deluded because it doesn't work that way. It is. And, uh, and I found, yeah. Talked about earlier the importance of curiosity and, you know, always being that mindset of constantly learning, constantly wanting to get better and looking ahead. What what, do you, what trend do you sort of see? I guess you've got finger on the pulse in terms of people development in corporate and high performance world, whether it be military, elite sport, like what sort of trends or advancements do you sort of see in this realm? Like are we going? Are we going backwards because there's more distractions? It's harder to look within now. Is that what you're saying? Or you gave the answer. I think the answer is, is we're going to go back. We go. We're eventually going to realise that the, the answer lies within. You know, I, I harp on that about that. That's the non-sexy truth. We're still going to keep advancing. Science and stuff that's going to keep advancing. Incredible science out there, but it can be very distracting as well. I, I've seen SNC coaches. I've seen coaches who are so absorbed in what the numbers are on the screen, they're neglecting what's happening in front of them. You know. And the best uh, SRC coaches, the best coaches are the ones that actually um, can see things in real time of what's actually going on, you know? I read a phenomenal book. I actually can't remember the name, the title of it now. Um, I can message you later on. It's up in my, my bookshelf somewhere. Yeah, we'll add it to the show notes. That's when you send it through. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm always looking for books that that um, that really challenge challenge the way I think, you know? So I go way outside the, the spectrum and, you know, I didn't mention earlier, but one of the mentors that mentored when he first came to Ireland is lady in her 70s now, you know, she teaches the ancient wisdom and I was, I was like, wow, this stuff is incredible. And I was, you know, people say, well, what's it got to do with uh, human performance or sports performance and leadership and stuff like that? When you start studying that stuff, you're like, man, this stuff cuts right to the core of it, you know? Um, the book I was talking about was, was speaking about, um, um, Cities, cities are, are, are like a, they're like uh, an extra power, the power we all have. A city is like a power we all have. Like It's like an aura of power, the, the power we have around our, our body. So to answer your question, I think that when we develop that, when we develop our city, um, what we're going to do is you're going to have a more powerful individual, right? Of course, the Newtonian way of thinking, an effect. But as I said, the higher level leaders, an effect, not and effect. Cause and effect is low-level Newtonian thinking. Quantum thinking is cause and effect, okay? So I'm going to cause and effect on the environment or the people or the thing that I'm uh, uh, doing. But, you know, like in this book that I'm talking about, fascinating stories like, 
what they did in the early days to try and get the best out of athletes. <clears throat> and there was an athlete, um, Herb Elliott, who was a famous runner. You might have heard of him. He's an Australian, you know? He was a famous middle-distance runner. <clears throat> and one of his coaches locked him in a cave, I think it was, to like, we'll put him in a cave or a bedroom or a room for like two or three days and said, you can't eat and you've got, you can't drink and you can't do all these things. And I want you to connect more to yourself, more to yourself and think of some saint or thing it was or whatever. I can't remember the exact details of the book, but then he said, he said, do that and come out. Then you'd be so much more powerful and run. Now, of course, he neglected the fact that the guy was dehydrated and hadn't eaten for two or three days. But these are the types of things some of, some of these people were doing to create within ourselves. Move the layers, I guess. Yeah, move the layers. Because we, we, we distract ourselves with all these other things, you know, um, rather than um, going after the one thing. That's why, you know, a lot of people, because they want to distract themselves, right, through music, through watching more things on social media, going out and partying or going out and meeting friends. When you sit in silence, you're going to learn more about yourself. Like I said, I've studied a lot of it was the age of wisdom, and I was turning up to these events, you know, working as an S&C coach when I, in my earlier days when I was just doing that. And there was nobody else in my industry doing that sort of stuff. They were all like, I'd come back and I, I just see the world very differently. What it enables you to do is, as I said right from the start, is your perception change, your shift shifts. So think of it like walking around that. That's how you see the world. Like you see a whole complete world. You're seeing step one and all the people down there go, why are you doing that? Like you see the whole picture and you're like, oh, wow. Why are you investing time in doing that? Why, you know? But it takes, you got to you got to learn and earn your way there. When I say learn, Keep studying and keep pushing yourself from way outside your your sphere. You still got to be good at your craft, and you got to keep working on your, your craft because that's shifting all the time. Like I said, the, the science and the developments, the research is continuing on that. So you know, you got to be world class at what you do. All right, but the the days where we have the silos of S and C coach, don't talk to me about um, what this guy's doing on the pitch. That still happens. All right, I still talk to people in the industry that are doing this. That that, that that's happening. Don't talk to me about this guy on, on the pitch. What would you know about that? It's, we, 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 work in a, we, we need to work synergies. Organizations, teams, are, human beings are cybernetic. You know what the word cybernetic stands for? We're a system of systems. When you're rehabbing someone, you just can't look at the knee, all right? Yeah, look at the whole picture. You now look at the whole picture. You know, the knee's related to the shoulder. And we know, you know through, through, the, through our slings in the body that, you know, if the, if the, the left leg's going, then there's probably the right shoulder that's having, contributing to that in some level. Um, yeah, so I know I keep digressing, but you know I, I'm very passionate about these things, and um, I don't have all the answers. I don't think anybody on earth has the answers. But your, your true ships, like I said, if you step up those stairs, the higher you get up those stairs, and you earn and learn your way through that, you see a big different picture, and you say, "Well, hang on a second, we're investing a lot of time and energy into something that's not going to produce us much rewards." And like I said, people are sitting around these 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 tables saying, "We want to be the world's best, and we'll do anything," and yet they don't do anything. And it's challenging them. You touched on before, you know, getting in rooms that maybe no one else is going in, whether it be speaking to naturopaths, uh, consulting people on the other end of the spectrum, or preventative, uh, building the body up, uh, rather than sort of an Eastern-style philosophy as well as Western and mixing it together. Um, do you once you've once you've educated yourself and, and you're building up that knowledge every day, do you find that your sort of gut instinct in the fly moments are stronger, like being able to back your intuition? Um, and the research on that is um, there's about around the 23 year mark in your in working in your industry you become very intuitive it's, it, I mean you can develop it throughout that time there's firefighters and stuff like that and said why do you make the decision when you went into the building and they couldn't tell you why they made it at the time 
They had to sit back and reflect, and then they go through. And it was years and years and years of just picking up subtle clues. You do that with athletes as well. You do that on the pitch. You know, absolutely world-class coaches. This, this, I'm talking about level four, level five coaches and leaders now. World-class people pick up these subtle clues, and they make decisions which level one, level two, level three coaches and leaders can't, can't understand. Why do you make that decision? Intuition, we've all got the intuitive factor, we just don't foster it enough. And that's something I've studied a lot of. I've studied it for many, many years. And and, and the noise has got to be removed from us. I've talked about that. People distract themselves. When you've got a lot of noise going on around you, you can't be, your intuition can't be very strong, won't be very strong. For your time, uh, Greg, is there anything that we haven't touched on in in terms of this topic, in terms of human performance? I know we've dived into it a fair bit. yeah, both from the physical side, emotional, spiritual, mention, mindset. So we've gone into a lot of different layers within human performance. But for the listeners, I guess, both from an athlete perspective and, and coaches that you'd like to sort of touch on before we wrap it up. Yeah, well, it's a massive subject, you know, and you can't really do it justice in the short time we've had together. Um, yeah. But as you can see, I'm very passionate about it and ongoing, you know, work in the industry. You know, I was uh, told, I, somewhat, one of my mentors said to me, you know, you didn't go be able to go seven questions deep on something. For example, if someone's got a calf injury, how can you go seven questions deep on that? In the first instance, you might look at it and say, okay, is gastroc or soleus, is, he's injured that, you know? But as you go deeper into it, with the nerves that in, innovate that, that um, then you can look at things like, okay, which organ pathways into the, and through the phrenic nerve, which is an old, old pattern of us for survival, the phrenic nerve goes up onto our, our, into our neck vision on the horizon right? because you don't see people walking around like that because that, that's, that puts us out of kilter also our ears for hearing and our teeth for oh, as an example if someone's getting poor sleep quality they can end up with a calf injury now if you can't go seven questions deep you're not going to get anywhere near that you're going to start at, at surface level understanding and treat something that's never going to get fixed because you haven't even looked to sleep so yeah it as you understand things and go deeper and deeper into this stuff, you have a bigger picture, and that's what the level five leaders and coaches um, earn their way. And especially, I love it's um, it's an ongoing process, you know. And our, like I said, our understanding of the truth it's, it's a shifting, it's a shifting thing. And I've got a quote here which I wrote down: um, "It ain't so much the things that we don't know that get us in trouble; it's the things that we know that just aren't so. We don't know that get us in trouble; it's the things that do know that just aren't so. So that's mean we've got a subordinate." Our ego. I haven't talked a lot of the ego, but I'm, I won't go into it now. But it's a massive subject. But we've got to subordinate our ego to allow to be more intuitive, to allow really to allow being open-minded and uh, learning to truly occur. accept to not have the answer, I guess, as well, and investigate further. Yeah, I mean, look, we do the best we can do, but we do it from pure mind tension to help somebody release all the other energy, all the other noises around me doesn't matter what level you're at, you can still do your best at that level. Because growth is a process of learning more, getting more experience. Experience will lead to high levels of wisdom. So, um, but, you know, I don't know if I said this earlier on, but it's a rare person who wants to hear things they don't want to hear. When someone when someone tells tells us, gives us feedback or says something to us that triggers us, that says more about us than it says about them. Right? Why, why is it triggering you? Because it's an unmet need within ourselves, an unmet need and so what we need to do is we need to say stop and say, hey, what was I learning there? Why am I, why am I feeling this way? That's shield up again. Anyway, that's more of the psychology. I'm going deeper into that. But I, I've had to, I, I've gone and studied that because what, what I found is, I, you know, I've studied, I did a lot of my, my master's thesis on change, you know, and looking at the blueprints to allow 
teams to perform at world-class level. Mechanisms of change, because everyone talks about the necessity to change, but often they don't change. We don't change. Um, I've looked at a lot of that and had to look at the psychology of that. Because, like I said, you sit down there, everyone goes, oh, yeah, we'll do anything. And then they don't do anything. They still do the same. They, they, they go and commit to the same old things. And, like, every sport has its own bubble, right? And within that sport, you have outliers at the at the, at the the fringes. Those are what I call the edge workers. They're the ones that are pushing the boundaries. There's a massive um, um, the organizations, the team, the ego egos of individuals feel safe. Without the ostracizing, look at all the leaders in, in any organization. They're the ones that got the arrows in their back, expelled as heretics. Some of them have been, like, there's been people burned on the stakes in, the early, in, the, in our early evolution. They've been burned at the stake. People didn't want to hear, but subsequently they found out these people were right. You know, time and, and yeah, so we're really you know, if you want really want to be in the space of high performance, then you've got to engage in these things, right? Not not sit sit at one end of the spectrum like I said and say, okay, well, this is um this is what science is. When when you've got someone down the road who's healing someone through naturopathic remedies, talked about Sir Graham Henry, he was very open to these things. And they had more black, they couldn't heal. So I had a guy that I worked with who I actually haven't mentioned him, Mark Buckley. Forgot to mention him, but Mark Buckley, um, he's actually doing a lot of work in Australia at FMA, FMA Strength and Conditioning. And if anyone is interested in taking themselves to another level, go and study his work. He's a phenomenal strength and conditioning coach. And his training courses are unbelievable. He visited me for, he was stayed at my house for six or eight weeks or whatever it was, and we were training and doing stuff together and things like that. And I invited people from this country to come down to it open lecture he was going to have the ones that are trying to that are working on the peripheries that's what I say to the people on peripheries there's some phenomenal people out there I rehabilitated a player from another sports organisation not in this country it was another country alright I rehabilitated a player that, that the sports organisation one of the top ones around the world right couldn't rehabilitate his mother was a physical fitness trainer and she said I needed to bring him somewhere he, I knew he was going to get the proper treatment and myself and this, this girl that I was working with who's a is an incredible uh, physio, Susie Neville, right? Um, physio, we rehabilitated this guy, and the guy actually ended up getting rehabilitated far in the year. Right. The rehabilitator, we did, you know. I was working for an opposition team at the time, and I said, "You don't don't tell us anybody," because I had a private clinic that I was worked in as well. Um, but the point is, is you know, like we've got to we've got to step back from our ego and uh, you know do right by people because. We are we are the limiting factor. We're the we're the things that are holding people back and ourselves. Yeah, and yeah, it's a great way. And a couple more stories as well to share, which is um, mm-hmm. yeah, fantastic. Great way to get the the message across. Appreciate it, Greg. Well, last three questions, mate. In, in your work life, uh, what are your sort of pet peeves? Anything that fires you up, makes you angry? Industry or or job specific? You care about your athletes. You got to care about your staff. You got to and you know when I mean care, um, that that whole human side of it. Um, but caring also enough to say that I don't know. Caring enough to say, you know what, isn't working. I have seen over and over again, and I've had many, many people in the the sports industry say to me, you know what, we keep going down the same track, and we're going down the same track because of protecting people's egos. Just down the road, or there's um, some healing individual who can help that person, and they won't go there. And here's the interesting thing is, and I started on the story, um, Graham Henry they had an athlete, Mall Black, who had a, had a very severe injury. All right, so I, I, I spoke to him about it. It's a, sort of a last shot, but let's, let's try it. And um, the interesting thing is, is 
I went from the car to the, from the car park into the building, and by the time I'd, I'd walked in, I already knew things I could do, and I had my mate coming in to help out because some of the nutrition stuff he was telling me about, I was saying, well, that ain't going to help with the healing, you know. But you got to look at the whole thing holistically. But the point is, is he said to me, oh, after this, I'm actually going to to see a, a spiritual advisor. But he goes, don't tell anybody that. And he said, I, I said, the reason why is because they won't let me go. The players will start doing these things when they, they need to do it. So, but we can be the limiting factor because we're trying to protect our own egos. And that's one thing I try never to do. That's why I said here is important. Because if, if, you're, if you're using a certain approach, and it might be the scientific, it might be the medical approach, and it ain't working, you've got to be able to expand yourself out for the betterment of the players and the organization, not to protect your own ego. Okay. And, and I guess on that topic, like, uh, or an organization where that's done really well, where there are externals, the people consulting, and I imagine the full, full-time staff or, or those primary staff, are they building a relationship with those externals or is it just a matter of a trust aspect? I, 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 I don't want to name organizations anyway because I'm feeling the people that I'm talking about, you know, whether, you know, because they can't defend themselves, me speaking. And there are my experiences as well. Um, I've definitely worked in very progressive organisations. The, the highest level of that, um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't think of one that I've actually worked in, per se. But again, it's an evolutional process, and you know, I, I use this as an example. Every team wants to win. You know, this, you know, unless you're in a social uh, competition, then every team's looking to win their championship. So if you could, this, this. There's linear thinking. They might have a bit more finances, they buy more resources, they might get a new staff member in, or whatever. That's quite linear. But there's quantum leap growth as well. Quantum leap means you can make a shift quickly. So what if we could image what's happening in the sport in 10 years' time, for example, and the um, leadership or the mental, the mindset space, imagine if you do a quantum leap to 10 years' time and say, okay, let's shift our mindsets to there and now technically and tactically operate in that, strength and conditioning-wise operate like that. That's a massive shift. Now you're going to be asking questions of people when they're walking in the door to do things completely differently. New um, paradigm. And now you're going to take, you, you've got a massive jump on the other organizations. But most teams and organizations don't even think or do things like that because it challenges them too much. The question you asked me, again, I'm not going to mention the organization, but I went up to one of the uh, top uh, sports organizations to have a round table on some ideas prepared for a world championship. And I was listening, I was only there, I was, I was kind of listening for about two, first two, three hours. I was thinking, oh, you know, I'd, I I wouldn't go down that for various reasons. I'd been down that path many times myself and I'd seen it didn't really work. Now, there was some value in some of the stuff they were saying for sure. <clears throat> but in the end, I, when I got asked to speak, I spoke and I really challenged the way they were, were thinking. It's purely my own opinion, but also some science. I backed it up with some evidence and stuff like that. But it was forward thinking, it was very forward thinking. Dense in the room, they weren't particularly... Uh, happy with the information I was giving them, you know, because it was just completely challenging them. Who came through and said that I'm not to come to that meeting again. I came out of the meeting and said, I'm in lots of these meetings, they're all the same, keep doing the same thing. And they they want other opinions, but if you offer different opinions, they're not going to. So, as I said, you know, that, that say you do that leap, that quantum leap, it's easy in, in our mind. Can, uh, theoretically, we can all do that, but actually act it and do change the behaviors that, that are. Um, concomitant with that is very, very challenging. Challenging. Yeah. Right? And what, a, what about our favorite way to spend your day off? Spend my day off. Uh, I like just traveling and just having adventures, you know, doing different things. And I like reading. I just sit, love sitting and reading and learning and challenging my mind. Yeah. 
obviously we're halfway through the year of 2023 on this recording. What's on the horizon for you? You mentioned the five pillars, I think, so that sounds like there's a new yeah, so, um, um, that a workshop that's coming out or? My book. Um, I just uh, yeah. meeting my publisher last week, so um, I'm, I'm putting my book, hopefully it'll be out early or mid, early to mid-2024. Um, and it'll talk about a lot of these things. Um, yeah, I'm looking at, looking at sports leadership and, you know, sports performance, um, and it'll talk about those five levels. It talks about all the things like it starts with the, 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 the start of the books uh, and then a pathway of the five levels of that. And the last one is better than good. People want to jump to the end point. Like I said, right, that's the paradigm currently. Oh, can you show me how to do this? You know, they don't want me to say, oh, hang on a second, you've got to um, get people reading books or you've got to start growing your athlete, get changing their whole mindset, their whole, the way they operate. So, yeah, that's, that's. The- I want to follow your work and, and I guess, fight and, you know, be able to buy that book um, when it is released. Where's the best place to connect? Is it social media or website? Yeah, I'm not as active on uh, social media as I, I should be, um, but you can go to my website, um, leadthepack.net, or contact me directly, Greg. At LinkedIn recently, um, I'm putting out quite a lot of posts on there, so that's another place. But yeah, I do have a Facebook page, Lead the Pack, as well. I just and I put stuff up on there quite regularly, but not as active as I probably should be. Links all in the show notes for those listening in, and of course, if you're only tuned in halfway through, make sure to listen to the whole episode or live on our YouTube channel until we release the podcast on Spotify and iTunes in the next three weeks. Uh, really appreciate your time, Greg, and uh, all the stories you shared, as well as the information. And, and it was hugely informative for me. I took a lot of value um, from our chat. Uh, like you said, it's a it's a topic uh, human performance that probably an hour and a half doesn't do it justice. But I feel like I've I've learned a lot more and get a better understanding, and I guess just greater awareness on how complex uh, every more questions, the importance of curiosity, uh, and keeping open open mind. Uh, just a couple front of mind, but I'm sure there'll be more. Um, that spring up to mind as I sort of digest this episode over the next couple of days. So on behalf of all the listeners, Greg, thank you um, for, for jumping on and sharing with us. Um, and for those listening in that want to connect with our next live chat show, that will be with David Young. Uh, that will be on the 13th of July at 2.30 p.m. Australian Standard Time. So I look forward to seeing you then. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian of the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane and I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, sure yeah, game game changes whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah.
Yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the strength and conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us. Awesome. So he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was, uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was, you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm. Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts doing a, a journal every day just to be to say what I'm grateful for sort of three things and um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to yeah like reset and and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about you know that there is more to life than football or you know might be whatever as an SNC coach you know if something's you having a hard time um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble um, yeah. so that's that's been huge um i think i wish back then when i was younger i asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things mm -hmm. i think i was a bit single-minded back then and um you know i thought there was one way of doing things and um if i kind of didn't have that fear fear of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and i probably would have learned a lot quicker um and yeah. and yeah, like just yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.